The Fake Show podcast is brought to you by the law firm of Hutchison & Stefan, the Craft House Brewery, now with two locations, the Tone Factory Recording Studio, Moonshot.com t-shirt designs, Mr. Antenna, now your host, Jim Tofty. I have known Steve Sharippa ever since he was the entertainment director at the Riviera here in Las Vegas. We had him on our morning show a lot in the 90s and early 2000s. And then started seeing less and less of him. Turns out he got a role on this brand new show called The Sopranos, starring a relatively unknown actor named James Gandolfini. We didn't see much of Steve after that because he's been an incredible success ever since, leading up to his current role on Blue Bloods. I wanted to talk to Steve about his new book, Woke Up This Morning, and his podcast called Talking Sopranos, both of which involve his longtime friend and Sopranos castmate Michael Imperioli. I believe I've got Steve on the line right now from his home in New York City. Hello. Steve, how are you, buddy? What's happening, pal? Steve Sharippa, it's been a few years since we last talked. Uh, I guess we have a lot to catch up on, huh? Let's go. What are we going to talk about? Who are we going to talk about? Well, we're going to We're going to talk. Oh. We're going to talk about you. Congratulations on yours and Michael Imperioli's book. Woke up this morning. The definitive oral history of the Sopranos. Who came up with the idea to do the book? Uh, you know, I think it was. Uh, to be honest, this was me. Uh, you know, I'm a little wacky, as you know, <laughs> so, uh, I, I sometimes, and I'm not joking, I get ideas while I'm sleeping. Right. You know, that's how I sold the book, Nikki Dukes. I, I, I actually like dreamt it. And then the next morning I had called the publisher and then I said, I have this idea about a kid's book. And I, you know, went in and pitched it like the next day and, you know, we sold it. And, and this one was kind of similar. I, I. I get up because I get up four times a day to pee. Four times a day to pee. <laughs> right. And on one of those trips, I said, you know, <laughs> why can't this be a book? And this is when we were, you know, maybe 10 episodes into the podcast, you know. Yeah. And I said, why can't this be a book? So I called, uh, you know, I've had the same agent for a while, literary agent. And I called him and I said, uh, have you heard the podcast? He said, no. I said, well, listen to them and get back to me. I think there's a book there. And that's uh, how we started the process. But that was it. I mean, I, I sometimes I sleep. I'm half awake and I, I think of things. You know, it's the same thing, I think, for uh, musicians, too. I've heard stories about how Keith Richards or Paul McCartney, they, they wake up with a complete song in their head. Yeah, well, I mean, I wish I could do that. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, but you know, kind of, but it's happened to me with other things too. I, I kind of like I'm half asleep or I get up and then I I have some idea and sometimes I have to write it down or I'll, you know, get up in the morning and I'll remember it and, uh, you know, it's, yeah, you know, I, I just thought of this thing. I mean, they're not always uh, winners. This, this one happened to be. The podcast almost didn't happen because of COVID? Yeah, you know, what happened was we approached to do the podcast, and uh, we didn't know anything about podcasts. I had done some, but I don't listen to any. And to this day, right. I haven't listened to five minutes of my own. Uh, we're 89 episodes in, I haven't listened to five minutes of it. You should listen, uh, it's pretty good. <laughs> so <laughs> we approached it, you know, uh, we were approached, and then... And we said, okay, so we started doing some press for it. You know, we were going to start it in March. And uh, well, Michael was coming in from California. We were going to be in a studio here downtown on the Lower East Side in New York. And 
Uh, then COVID hit. We had done some press. We made the announcement. And uh, then we got shut down. And we said, well, I mean, who really cares about them? Michael couldn't get on a plane. And then it was like, who cares about a TV show? I mean, really, I mean, the world's coming to an end here. I mean, does, does anyone care about The Sopranos? It was kind of tone deaf. You know, yeah. I felt. And then we started hearing from people. We're locked in, you know, they're three weeks in or whatever it was, you know, and we're locked in. And then, uh, uh, you know, we're binge watching the show and we could, you really need this now. I mean, a lot, yeah. a lot on social media. So, uh, the, uh, you know, uh, our producer, Andy, you know, they came up with Zoom, which I had never heard of up until that point. No one had. Yeah. Yeah. And we tried it. And, uh, you know, we said, we'll try it. I was in my home and, you know, I was in New York City in the apartment. Michael was in Santa Barbara and, and we tried it and it helped us a lot. You know, I mean, uh, we, we still hear to this day how it's helped them get through this, uh, something to look forward to every Monday. And, and, but it's helped us because he gave us kind of a purpose. I mean, I was in locked in the apartment for 23 hours a day. You know, uh, it's a little easier like being in Vegas or California, because I eventually went to California, you know, like in May. And it was much easier uh, just because you could go in the backyard and you could walk around. I mean, here right. in New York City, you know, every three feet you're bumping into somebody. Yeah. And that's what it was like. I was living downtown at the time, and it was, uh, you know, uh, I mean, you go out of the house, who's got a mask on? You know, it was just insanity at that point. That's when there was a shortage of everything, and... It was a rough time, you know, for everybody. And, and so uh, it kind of helped us. My daughter helped me set up the stuff, and they mailed us the curtains and the camera and the microphone. It was all you know, completely new, you know. I and love really that. Know, I don't know anything. They mailed you the curtains. That's hysterical. They mailed us the curtains, the, curtains, <laughs> the, the piping, the thing. So, you know, we got a red curtain. Michael had a red curtain. And then we eventually got into the studio for a while together, which we enjoyed a lot. Uh, and then, uh, like, you know, the, 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 uh, the engineers didn't have, uh, weren't vaccinated. Oh, nice. And so they got COVID and we didn't know, you know, we had been vaccinated. We didn't know. So then we just continued on over zoom, you know, we're both in the city, but we're, you know, we do it over zoom. It makes sense. And you for, know, for fans like myself of the podcast, because I do listen and, uh, you break down scene by scene, all these episodes. So in other words, you and Michael really had to go back and, and watch it again, didn't you? Yeah, we hadn't watched it. I mean, I hadn't watched the show at all. You know, I watched it when it came out. You know, that was it. I watched it on Sunday nights like everybody else. I mean, I didn't go back and ever watch it once the show ended. I mean, I just didn't, you know. Uh, and uh, so what we we didn't know what the hell to do. But we said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to break it down. So the first four or five were a little rough. Uh, especially sure. with the Zoom, I'm talking over him. I mean, we didn't get our footing, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, I talked over him a lot. Uh, and then it gets better from there. And, and and we didn't know what it was going to be. And then we said we're going to have guests, the people that, not just the actors, but everyone who made the show uh, what it was. So I had actors and casting directors, producers and writers, directors, and, and David Chase. So it became a thing. Okay. Let's have our guest, then let's talk about something, you know, because I mean, Soprano, Soprano, you know, you can only hear the analyst so much. Yeah. You know, Michael is brilliant at it. 
you know, he, he breaks it all down. I, I look at it more like a fan, you know, uh, you can only listen to so much of that, I think. So we would talk about our favorite restaurants and books and, and music and, uh, all yep. kinds of stuff, you know, where, 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 you know, where, where, uh, you know, try to entertain, you know, you know, try to make it a little entertaining, funny and, will take you behind the scenes. And we see my scene. So it would take, I would have to watch it at least twice and take each of us uh, at least three hours to go scene by scene and break it down. And, and, you know, right now there's so many little things you miss, you miss, you miss. And so that took a lot of work and it was okay at first when you got nothing else to do. But then I started filming blue bloods yeah, and then we started doing the book, so it was one of the hardest things I ever did. I mean, you had to do the book, do this, do that. You know, this kept on uh, coming up. I know how busy you are because it took a while for us just to set this up because you always had interviews or or other things. Yeah, going on. Well, I, fa- you know, the fans are so knowledgeable on the show. Yeah, and if you don't know what you're talking about, you're going to get busted. You know, I mean. <laughs> Right. The people know the show. They, they, these are diehard fans. So you can't fake it. You know, at first, uh, Jim, believe it or not, we were going, okay, so uh, you'll fly into New York. Uh, we'll bang out like six, seven, eight of them. And then I'll come to L.A. and we'll bang out like three a day. It was like, what the hell were we talking about? <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. a, a couple of times we tried two in a day, and that was just flat out exhausting. Yeah, you know, and and then the time went on. I think we got our footing, and they also became much longer. Some of them are three, three and a half hours. Uh, it's a very complicated show, you know. The show is complicated. It's very smart and it's complicated. And some of the guests, most of the guests, are just fantastic. Yeah, they are. And I mean, it's it's fun to hear from guests who maybe didn't have huge parts on the show, like Christopher's, the actress who played Christopher's mom, for instance. Just yeah. to hear her talk about her life and other things that she's done. And the great thing, and I told you this when we were talking on the phone a couple of days ago, you guys really learned. You learned how to be interviewers. You give people space to talk, and a lot of podcast hosts don't do that. Yeah, well, it's just like a lot of late night, you know, when you go on a late night talk show, you know, uh, you know, there's a pre-interview. You know, I don't even know if we've talked about that, too. You know, there's a pre-interview. So you're going over the questions, right? So I'm doing... Jay Leno, for example, or Conan. I'm doing Conan, and uh, he's going to ask me this, and I'm going to answer that. And then he has his writers write a joke for my answer. <laughs> so that's what he's looking to do. You know, uh-huh. that's how that works. Right. You know, you know okay, uh, so blah, blah, blah. And then I say, yeah, well, I was in Vegas. Uh, I remember my first Leno. Uh, Leno says, so uh, your first job, you, you, you delivered pizza in Vegas? Uh, and I said, yeah, I was a pizza delivery guy when I first got to town. And he goes, it's amazing how any of them uh, made it to the house. Oh, oh, oh nice. You yeah, know, so that's... that was a setup joke that his writers wrote for him. Yeah. To make it look like it was ad-libbed, right? Uh-huh. I mean, so a lot of times the, the hosts are looking, you know, past, you know, I'm going to make, he's going to say that, I'm going to tell a joke, you know, blah, blah, blah. So, right. you know, we let them, we were, some of the stories were 
just fantastic. I mean, everyone's journey, like how they got on the show. And I would ask them, did you audition for David? And some people kind of mocked that because I kept asking that question. But it was very interesting to me. What was your audition like? They weren't all the same, you know. Some yeah. people read for different roles. I mean, uh, Big Pussy uh, read for, I think, Paulie Walnuts, and Paulie Walnuts read for Uncle Junior. Uncle Junior read for Big Pussy. I read for an FBI agent, you know. Uh, uh, you know, all kinds of stuff like that. I mean, you know, uh, who read for what? It was very interesting to me, uh, you know, how many people came down to the wire for Carmella? I didn't know that you read to be the to be an FBI agent. That's first I yes, heard. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I I read to be, you know, my when I went in, I was in New York and uh they faxed me in those days, they faxed you the sides. Right. And it was for the FBI agent Skip Lapari who wind up going to Louis Lombardi. But he only lasted, a, you know, like a season, a season and a half. You know, he was the, the guy that kind of turned uh, Big Pussy into a rat. And he was terrific at it. But when I auditioned for that, she said, I don't see you as this. Uh, read this and gave me the role of Bacalao and I cold read yeah. it in her office. I mean, I would have been gone. You know, I would have been, you know, a season and gone. How did you appear on uh, David Chase's radar? How did he find out about you? I, listen, I had an agent who was a friend of mine, okay? Uh, I was in Vegas. I was working at the Riviera, and right. uh, I had met, you know, I guess from Book and Axe, I had met this an agent, a friend of a friend. They would come out for the weekend. You know, back in, in those days, I had, you know, 35 comp numbers, you know. I mean, you know, I could copy yeah. a meal in a room, and, and it was all fine. I mean, the Riviera was fine with it, you know. And so... Uh, I was doing business with these guys, booking comics and booking acts and bands with them, right? And then they would come out sometimes for a night or two, and we would hang. And I got to meet this agent, and he in turn brought his boss. They had a small agency, which is a pretty big agency, a lot of working actors. Uh, and I got to know him, and he would come into town. We were friends, you know. And uh, I remember helping him with his 50th birthday party uh, at the Paradise Cafe, I think it was called. Sure. It was right on Paradise and Twain Italian restaurant. Yeah. Uh, Savan was a great Italian restaurant. And I helped him there, and then we set it up and got him a good price and blah, blah, blah. The next day, I sat down with him, and I said, listen, I'm going to really, I really want to try this. So if you're going to help me, fine. If you're not going to help me, you need to tell me because I'm going to find someone else. I, I really want to try to see if this works. Because up until that point, he had been sending me out, hip-pocketing me, you know, not signing me. But, you know, agents sometimes will test the waters. They hip-pocket you, you know, like, hey, that sounds something for Steve. And they would call me and I would go to L.A., you know, and I would go to L.A. and I would uh, audition for, you know, sometimes two or three in a day. I would fly or I would drive, you know, and I would just get in the car, you know, sometimes, you know, five in the morning, six in the morning, get to L.A., <laughs> do my auditions and come back. Sounds exhausting. And uh, it was <laughs> it was exhausting. Yeah. I mean, it was very exhausting, but I was younger. I had some money. Yeah. Uh, you know, I would I would fly in. 
you know, take the old Southwest and someone would pick me up at the airport, take me to auditions, I would pay that person. And so he was kind of looking out for me, just getting me auditions, and I started getting stuff. And then there was a casting guy who was a terrific guy, who I owe so much to Ray Favero in Las Vegas. And when something came to down, he would have me audition. Chicago Hope, and I got that. A couple lines as a security guard. Nice. Uh, Fear and Loading in Las Vegas. I had a couple lines. Uh, you know, Casino, I wind up getting my SAG card. I'm uncredited, but I had a couple lines. Yeah. So he was helping me there. And this, and you know, this guy uh, was looking after me. So when I came to New York for a wedding, I called him and I said, his name is Tim. I said, Tim, see if you can get me to read for this Soprano show. I, I really didn't watch it. I said, I'm hearing a lot about it. You know, uh, I said, see if you can get me to read for that. So he got me the audition and I went up Broadway. Uh, it was up in uh, like, like 50th and Broadway. And I went up there and it just happened. I was here at that time and they were starting to cast yeah. season two. It just, you know, all the stars were lined up and I worked on it in my hotel room and, uh, I went uptown and it was Christopher Walken's wife, George Ann. It was a casting director and she was alone. And, uh, I was a little nervous. I mean, cause I, I, I had auditioned, but it was all new to me, you know, you know, I wasn't green, 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 but you know, I didn't have that much experience. And uh, she said, Hey, what are you, it's just me and you, what are you nervous for? It's just the two of us. And it was, and that calmed me down. And, uh, then I read, she said, we have someone in mind for Bacalaba. read this. I took five minutes. I looked at it and then I read it. She said, that was pretty good. And she got my resume and she said, well, what is all this? And I told her, you know, it's two lines here, three lines there. You know, it wasn't fudged. That's one thing people do. Don't lie on the resume. You'll get busted. Yeah. You know, you know people add stuff, you know, no, and I so, know. you know, so that's what happened. And then I, I flew back the next week. She said, it's a, you know, it's a scale job. It's uh you know, it's only, uh, you know, a local hire, which means they weren't going to put me up. They weren't going to fly me and they were going to pay me scale. And I said, my exact words, well, let's hope we have that problem. Uh -huh. And then when I got the role, but the agent said, don't take it. He said, they're not going to fly you and blah, 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 blah. And I said, well, I want to try to do this. So I, you know, took a shot with myself. Uh, you know, and I, I, you know, I joke, but it's the truth. I made about 22,000 and it cost me about 24,000. Right. <laughs> you know, I had to fly myself and put myself up and feed myself and, uh, to get myself to the set. They wouldn't even give me a ride to the set, man. You know? What is that about? I mean, you got the role. They're not that, they're not all that generous, uh, all the time, you <laughs> uh -huh. know, and, and and a lot of times, and we've talked about this on the podcast, we've talked a lot about show business and a lot of people that, you know, it's a dirty secret. No one wants to talk about it, but we were wide open about people that are trying to become actors or get into the business and how it all works. Uh, if you listen to a lot of the episodes, we talk all about that stuff. Uh -huh. uh, you know, they're not all that generous, Jim. They, they'll pay you if they have to pay you. If they want you, they find the money, they'll find whatever they need to find. 
It's when they could care less. You know what? Yeah. They'll get another fat Italian guy. Get him out of here. He doesn't want to. He doesn't want to fly himself. The hell with it. You know, if you would have made a demand and say, "Fly me or else," it would have been or else. Uh huh. You know, you had no leverage. You know, you had no leverage. So I took a. Uh, you know, I invested in myself and took a shot. And Riviera at the time was extremely accommodating. You know, Bob Venucci, he passed away. Good guy. He was the president. And he, he uh, you know, without him, uh, another hotel would have said, hey, well, what are you doing? Are you an actor or are you an entertainment director? Yeah. Which one are you? Right. And they didn't. They, they, they uh, you know, they were very, uh, they backed me, you know. They were uh, encouraging. What did you recall about meeting this very impressive cast, you know, and and Michael and and James Gandolfini and all the rest? Well, the first, well, first I met them at a read-through. You know, they had a read-through before every show where it's a big, giant, square table, and the writers are there, the producers, David Chase, and everyone in the episode who has even one line is invited to this thing. And they have food, you know, you eat afterwards or before, and everyone knows each other and you're the outsider, cause it's, and so it's kind of awkward. Yeah. Because you have this big thing, and you go down around the table and you say, I'm, uh, you, know, Tony, you know, Jim Gandolfini, Tony Soprano, and Paulie Walnuts, Tony Sirico, and so on. And then you read it from front to back. So I did that. Uh, I didn't even know what a read-through was. I actually called Joe Rogan, who was an actor and a friend of mine, and I called Bill Kirkenbauer, who was an actor and a comic that worked for me at the Riv, and I asked them what goes on in a read-through, and they both explained to me. Uh, You know, you you don't do it 100%, but you certainly do it 75% or 80%, you know, uh, you know, after, you know, after the, uh, the read through, you got to meet everyone, you know, and I remember, you know, meeting Jim and, uh, he said to me, cause there was all these fat jokes and he said, uh, you're not that much fatter than me, <laughs> you know? And I said, no, I'm not. And, uh, you know, then I found out I had to wear a fat suit. You know, I didn't know that, you know, at first. They never told me that. So, oh. uh, you know, that's uh, when I was reading all the fat jokes, I'm going, oh, this kind of don't make sense. He's calling me, uh, you should consider eating salads and you're a calzone with legs and, you know, all these uh, fat <laughs> yeah. jokes. Uh, but it's not funny coming from a fat guy. Right. <laughs> you know, so I was, you know, they obviously made me 75 pounds fatter. You I know? know that. So, and then I met everyone. Uh not everyone, but, you know, you're a new guy. You say hello, you say hello. And the first day on the set, it was, uh, I stayed in a hotel out in Secaucus. Uh, they, I had to hire, the, like, the hotel van to drive me to the set in Jersey, uh-huh. which I'm not familiar with. And I had scenes with Uncle Junior, you know, and Tony Soprano. My first scene was with Tony Soprano, Paulie Walnuts, uh, Silvio, and Big Pussy. Oh, man. That was my first scene. Yeah, it was very intimidating. I'm glad I was so green. I didn't realize, uh, I guess, the stakes. Like, I didn't realize, like, I should have been much more scared. I yeah. was prepared, but I should have been much, much more scared. That's like... You know, I mean, you could get fired. I mean, if I don't do if I don't do well here, I'm never coming back. <laughs> yeah, you know, 
There was uh, yeah. no guarantee. It was only one episode they hired me for anyway. It's probably good that you were not aware of how scared you should have been because it probably worked to your advantage, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, because I've heard, you know, stories since, you know, people get fired at the read-through. People come into the read-through and they they go, oh, somebody goes, oh, that's well, what's happening here. You know, the, the guy, that's not what we want. We don't want this played this way, you know, like, you know, I've heard those stories. You don't like the way you look or, you, you know. know, I was that reminds me of a story Jimmy Walker told me just a couple years ago when they went to do the first read through for Good Times. And Jimmy Walker was looking at the script. And at the time, he's this hot young comic. And he looks to Norman Lear and he says, this is a shit script. And everyone yeah. just looked at him like the good, yeah, yeah. good sense of humor. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, I mean, it happens. And so. I was kind of green when it came to that, you know, and then I worked with, you know, Dominic that day and, and that episode, uh, I forget how many days I was here, but I worked with Dominic and, and uh, Jim. And I remember, I remember at one point, uh, Jim said, let's go run lines in my trailer. And yeah. so it was me, him and uncle junior Dominic. And it was like, kind of uh, at that point, it was kind of like an out of body thing. It was like, you know, like, what the hell? How did I get here? Yes. I mean, I was just watching these guys on TV. You know, once I got cast, I started watching the show, you know, and it was like, you know, how the hell did this happen? You know, here I am with with Jim Gandolfini and Dominic Chianese. I'm, I'm in this trailer. I mean, you know. And Polly Walnuts and Uncle June. I don't know why, but those two characters were my favorites. They just seemed to kind of be the scene stealers. Well, they have the best lines, both of them. Yeah. yeah. Polly Walnuts was my favorite character. They have the best lines. And Uncle Junior could say anything. You know, he's a <laughs> mixture of old and young, and he, he insults, and, yeah. he, you know, he uses new terms and old terms, and he's just a grumpy guy. Uh, Uncle Junior is just really grumpy, you know, cranky, and not very nice, you know. I mean, uh, uh, Paulie is not the brightest fella. You know, just a flat-out mobster, that's what he does for a living. He doesn't He doesn't really, Paulie Willis doesn't even want to advance He's just happy doing what he does. No kids. You know? I, I was thrilled when you were cast as uh, Anthony Abbott and Marco on Blue Bloods. How did that happen for you? Because it's such a great role for you. Well, you know, after, you know, when I was done with The Sopranos in 2007, you know, uh, listen, I wasn't convinced that I was going to work anymore. You know, you had all this big hype, right? I mean, just huge hype. I mean, Everywhere, you know, you're getting offers and, you know, you're getting offers while the show's going on. Everybody wants to hire a soprano, right? You know, and I did some stuff and I became a better actor. I worked really hard at it, took a lot of lessons, blah, blah, blah. And, but there's a hard part. The show's over. Now, who's going to work and who's not? And I wasn't convinced that I was a star. Like, you know, uh, people think, like, oh, you're going to work forever. No, no, that's not how it works, man. You know, that's not how it works, you know. And so I got very lucky in February of 2008, after all the hype and all the stuff and did some other projects. I did a movie that Michael directed, and uh, I got cast on a series for ABC Family uh, called The Secret Life of the American Teenager. And it was a big hit series. It was, uh, uh, ABC Family was a new network, and it was doing four and a half million people. Yeah. Pretty good. 
you know, pretty good. And it was Molly Ringwall and Shailene Woodley, who's now a big star. And a really good cast. And I got cast in that, and I did 110 episodes of that. And that helped me, because I was just playing like a suburban dad. And that kind of helped me get out of the mob thing, you know, because afterwards, that's all they want to put you in. You're, you're a mobster, you know, your, your name ends in a vowel. You're typecast so, you know, you're, to it. Yeah, you know, your voice. Listen, I'm not going to play an English professor. Let's not kid ourselves. But <laughs> there's Italian doctors and teachers and professors and plumbers. And you know, you know what I mean? Not every Italian is a gangster. So that really helped me, you know. And I tried to stay away from the mob thing. Because one, it wasn't going to be done better than, you know, I got offered a bunch of stuff. But it was it's a lot of a lot of a lot of mob stuff that's made is crap. Yeah, you know, it's a lot of crap. So I kind of stuck to my guns, and I, you know, and I, I did a bunch of stuff, and I created a show for Discovery, and I, I did. I was correspondent for Leno, and I, you know, did all kinds of stuff. And then I just got a call. I, I got a call in 2015. My agent called and said, uh, "There's this role. It was originally for an Irish." detective, uh, Irish-American guy, and he says, uh, they're going to change it as an Italian guy for you. It's one, maybe two. I said, okay, great. You know, and I, you know, I didn't have to audition, you know, and, yeah. I, and I went and, uh, you know, we did it. They, they wrote a terrific episode for me. I had, I had this guy in my head, you know, the way it was written, it was written really well. And, uh, the director, I mean, the showrunner came out and uh, came out and met me. I guess he wanted to see if I was going to be a pain in the ass or not, you know, because <laughs> uh-huh. uh, that's, that's a truthful thing. You know, do we want to get stuck with this guy or not? And uh, you know, we talked and then they gave me a second and a third. And I think I did eight episodes. And then the following year, uh, you know, I've done, I, I just finished my 100th episode. Wow. And your scenes yeah. with, with Bridget Moynihan are just spectacular. You uh, thanks, thanks. You both go at it. And I also think that your scenes with Donnie Wahlberg are incredible. You're in each other's faces all the time. Is there a little is there any kind of improv going on with the riffing back and forth between you guys? A little bit, a little bit. Yeah, Donnie likes to do that. Yeah. They they let you hear. As opposed to the Sopranos, you couldn't do not one word. Uh-huh. Here they let you go a little bit, you know? Uh, but it's written, you know, most of that stuff is written and they, the writers are just fantastic. It's a great show. I mean, in the 12th season, it is, I mean, the show's as popular as ever. I mean, it really is. Uh, and I couldn't be happy to be a part of it. I mean, here we are and, uh, you know, the shooting on the sh- streets in New York and, and, uh, uh, you know, uh, the great, great cast, Selleck's great, Donnie's great, Bridget, Will, they're all terrific people i've been around now a long time you know so it takes a while you know when you you're the new kid you know you know you're like the new guy you know oh you know and now you know everybody you know the directors and you know you're part of the show and kind of have to prove yourself it's you know a little intimidating when you're coming into a show that's established you know but i couldn't be happier you know i'm not a sitcom guy you know, I've done a lot of sitcoms. It's really not my favorite thing to do. No, this is well. Uh, I don't think this I'm is very good. I also don't think I'm very good at it. Uh. So, uh, I I like the one hour drama, and I like the show, a New York show. You know. 
That's great. Well, uh, and by the way, popping back to The Sopranos for a second, did the cast get together to watch the series finale? Yeah, that was the only time we watched it together. We were in Florida at the Hard Rock, and they were having a big party, uh, a big uh, finale party for the High Rollers. And uh, nine of us, I think we were in, I think me and Jim were in Atlantic City on the Friday uh, at a casino. And then Saturday, we were all in Foxwoods in Connecticut, and then we took a private plane. I think there was eight or nine of us down to Florida. We It was 500 people. We took pictures with them, did a Q&A and all that stuff. And then we went into a little room in the back, and we had food and drink, and we watched it together. And, you know, when the ending happened, even though I had read the script and I knew what was going to happen, uh, I was stunned. Uh, Jim was going, what the hell happened? Uh, Michael liked it. Some people were confused. It was uh, it was something watching it together. That's the only time. Otherwise, you just watched it on Sunday like everybody else. You know, it's funny because I've talked to, uh, actually just talked to Neil Sean of Journey, whose song is used, and Jonathan Cain of Journey. And they both said, now they were at a point in that band's career where they didn't have a lead singer at the moment. And what... Uh, don't stop believing meant to them was it kind of helped resurrect that band's career. It really did because oh, I'm sure. Yeah, because oh, yeah. fans started to be interested again, and they found a lead singer, and they really have the Sopranos to thank for that. Yeah, you know, uh, the guy uh, is a producer, Martin Brucely, who handled the music on the Sopranos, That's and great. he had to get permission from Steve Perry. So. They contacted Steve Perry, and he wouldn't give permission to use the song. Really? Said, how do I know people? Yeah, it's in the book. It's in the book. Uh, how do I know uh, that people aren't going to get murdered? And how do I know that people, is it going to be a massacre? And blah, 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 blah. So he wanted to see it. He wanted to see the scene. Uh, and uh, no one was going to see the scene. And I think uh, Steve Perry said somewhere that he saw it, but not true. Uh, I think they sent him the, the scene. I think they, he knew ahead of time that it was going to fade to black. So I don't know if he realized what he was reading. But, yeah, in order to get permission to do the song, uh, he did not see it, but he did read it. That's amazing. That's yeah. really amazing. Well, and of course, The Many Saints, before I let you go, The Many Saints of Newark was uh, pretty great, wasn't it? And especially the job that Jim's kid, Michael, did. Yeah, he did a really good job. He's a really nice kid, and Jim would be proud of him. Not an easy thing, what he did. You know, not easy at all. I mean, uh, he, you know, they threw him into the deep end of the pool. You know, he was he had been acting but relatively inexperienced, and he's got to fill this role that his father was so great at. So I give him a lot of credit because that could have that could have been tough, you know. And uh, he did a nice job. And I thought Alessandro Navola, who played the lead, I thought he was great. Yeah, he 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 might get nominated for an Oscar. He was that good, uh, you know. And uh, we had David Chase on out for the, the podcast December twentieth. David Chase comes on. He's on the finale. We talk all about it again about the ending, about the Sopranos. Uh, we got a lot of questions we asked him, uh, and he asked it, and he answered most of them. 
Well, that's great. That's great. Well, it's Steve Sharippa and Michael Imperioli's book, Woke Up This Morning. It's a bestseller right now, kids, but pick up your copy today. And the guy's podcast, Talking Sopranos, is on all the usual platforms. Steve, it was so nice of you to uh, give me this uh, time there from New York and a big fan of the uh, of Blue Bloods and Hope that you guys have a great holiday, you and your family. You too, but it's really good catching up with you, man. Thank you. Just incredible, those stories about The Sopranos, including the fact that Steve was originally cast to play an FBI agent and that Steve Perry of Journey gave them such a hard time about using the song Don't Stop Believing," which I thought was written by keyboardist Jonathan Kane anyway. Remember, David Chase is on The Guy's Podcast next week. That does it for this episode of the Fake Show Podcast. I'm Jim Tofty. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time. Listen to the Fake Show anywhere on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, and thefakeshow.com.